Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Broken English Podcast. My name is Mila Panic, and today's guest is a very dear friend of mine. We know each other for a couple of years, and I'm very happy she accepted the invitation. But before I introduce her, I would just like to sum up uh, um, the context of Broken English Podcast. So Broken English Podcast, um, it's going to deal with various topics related to the language and uh, such as what is broken in the way we speak or for whom this is broken. But also we're going to touch uh, onto class-related aspects of the language uh, or rejection uh, of correct pronunciation. So, as I said, my first guest in the Broken English podcast is Andy Topia. Thank you for coming, Andy. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Um, so, to tell a few words about Andy, um, Andy Topia is an artist, filmmaker, slash storyteller, and cultural practitioner based between Berlin and Tirana. Her research is centered in experimenting with strategies of memory, recuperation of the potential of reenactment with time witness. She explores the limits of self-representation as well as its uh, tangential relation to video art. Uh, there is a friction between the essential and sense of exaggeration uh, omnipresent in her search of clarity. She continuously tries to challenge a certain idea of establishment, institutional formality in artistic research and academic language. Her work has been shown in festivals and exhibitions in Germany, Kosovo, Mexico, UK, Netherlands, Georgia, Ukraine, and so on. So she's quite international with her work. And we met, uh, how did we met actually? Through common friends, no? Uh, we met through common friends, uh, virtually, uh, because we both lived in Berlin. Yes. But then we met again as artists at the Mediterranean Biennale um, in San Marino. Yes, that was amazing. Edition. Yes. And we worked with the same curator, no? Um, Did you work with Angeliki? Yes, we yes. worked with the same curator. Yeah, Angeliki so. is the next episode. So, yeah, like, uh, just reading your biography and... Uh, for me, it's really challenging also because I know you as a person and it's completely different when you're trying to present someone um, with a, like vocalizing someone's biography. And I think we mentioned this also, how much we like try to curate uh, our biographies when you are pitching yourself to someone uh, through the language, through the writing, you know? Yes, also the small paragraph that you just read is um, a very uh, solidified paragraph in presenting uh, who I actually am. And you just kind of cannot help but feel the falsehood in, in the description, uh, which is actually uh, the words that are meant to be heard by other people yes. and that are meant to be heard um, in English by other people in a certain way that artists have to present themselves in English. So the struggle is always how much of you is actually still in those words. Yes, I mean, once I was reading, of course, the somehow just like um, highlights of certain words stays with me, stays me, stays with me your name, uh, stays that you are artist, filmmaker, and that you're from Tirana as well. So this is kind of already feels a, a lot that you can kind of uh, misunderstood someone or understand someone's bio, like background as well. So of course everything else it's kind of adding to what your interests are and where it plays, but somehow also feels so short to present yourself through this and also feels like a bit too much in the same time. I don't know, it's just this feeling. I know when I'm writing about myself, it's always like, what should I say? Depends who is going to read, depends who is going to listen. 
and what actually I am. I feel like I'm never what is written about me. Yeah, it's always um, this idea of identity and language. And probably it's a bit difficult because we present, there is never a, a congruity in that. Uh, we always present ourselves mostly in English in all of our in all of our um, uh, applications or, or search application for fundings, etc. And uh, we kind of linguistically move away from ourselves because we never do it in our mother tongue. So I think that is the first step or the first beginning where we kind of cheat a little bit on ourselves yeah. or who, on who we really are as artists. Um, yeah, I, I sometimes I have, I was asked for the Mediterranean Biennale actually from the Albanian Ministry of Culture to present also a short bio in Albanian. And it, it cost me more effort to write it in my own mother tongue than in English. Because uh, there is no practice of investigating myself in my own mother tongue yes. as an artist. And it's not uh, asked from you, it's not expected from you almost exactly. to do this. Yeah. And the reason I really wanted uh, that you are the guest in the first episode, because I think you were the last person I had sort of like conversation about the idea of the podcast and we really clicked and I really liked your opinion and I know we were mentioning a lot of references um, first of all like uh, about our own accents and our own backgrounds we are both coming from uh, southeastern Europe and but also we were talking about the privilege of language and uh, especially English language which is it's a language of almost everything it's language of economy it's language of culture became Uh, language of politics and protests so it's a very loud language and kind of set aside every other languages that we might know or use and present ourselves to protest and I really like this um, point of view that you were also presenting and as a, as a woman from Albania and also um, the topics that you were sort of interested to speak about in this podcast so I think it would be very interesting to connect this to the language and how much actually language influences all this, that we are maybe not aware or see it through this prism. Yes, I I immediately was turned on by the idea of your podcast and uh, also the idea of broken language, the idea of language per se, because I think also my practice starts with language, it starts with words uh, at the very beginning. And I think for countries like Bosnia-Herzegovina, where you come from, or Albania, where I come from, um, are deeply um, embedded in, in, in very recent traumatic events, mm-hmm. um, wars or ethnic conflicts, um, dictatorships. So um, for me, language and pain and escape and presence are very much related And also the English language is a language of uh, pain and escape and trauma because it's a, uh, the language of one of the biggest colonies that ever existed um, that has had repercussions in, in, in many aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it is one of the most um, 
mostly heard languages that is so international and that we actually use now because it is a thing first and foremost a language of violence but we never experienced English as a language of violence because it is imposed or because of its history or why we so many of these countries now internationally speak English we always link it with the the domination of culture, of Anglo-Saxon culture, uh, especially with literature. And this was my first exposure to English. And this is how I actually did fell in love also with... Um, I wasn't aware of the violence that this language actually um, was impregnated in. Um, I, I, I fell in love with the, with the, with the word somehow. Uh, so this was my, my beginning with it. And... and and to this goes also parallel, um, a kind of escape from the Albanian language, because it's a language that has been mortified by trauma, a language that has not been able to be expressed fully in the last three generations. Um, so I like the mixture of um, language freedom, um, pain and trauma, and how maybe Albanian and English are related in my, in my personal biography. I completely agree with this, because... Um, the English in for me personally, it's very much sim- simple. I mean, it's a simple language, but it's also freeing in a sense of uh, how I express my emotions, how I express my opinion. It's much more simplified. And I think uh, when it comes to my mother tongue and certain things to express, I think it's much more embodied in this context where we grow up a patriarchal society, something that it's imposed, how much you can voice yourself, how much you can speak, so that certain things are so hard to say in my mother tongue and so easy to say it in English. So even now when I would say something uh, highly to express my emotions, English for me, it's the language, while my mother tongue, it's so much harder and I think it's not so simple, like, okay, you maybe you, you don't express your emotions. I think it's so much embodied in the in the language itself and the culture that brings uh, together. But it's not just uh, from our personal perspective, but then society. And you were mentioning that you would like to talk also about um, uh, Eastern European feminism and how it's sort of muted and how it's not heard and uh, not even investigated. And of course, also it connects to the it's socialist history and that maybe some rights were taken for granted as it's seen rather than in, in the in the Western culture, like we had right to vote, we had right to uh, for uh, um, um, to work, maternity equally. leave, maternity yes. leave, abortions, you know, like we, we had these uh, rights without asking for it. But then there is, I'm, I'm assuming like this, the certain mental setup that was uh, imposed to to females in this region so it was not the only thing i guess so so you kind of okay you got everything what else do you want but um it's not enough you know so we were kind of muted you got everything and it was not seen as a same level yeah it, it's it's something that i also started to investigate very late in my life the idea that there is an experience of there is an, a feminist experience that is very specific to, to Eastern Europe. And then also I had to struggle with the notion of Eastern Europe. What is then this Easterness? What is then Western Balkans? What is South East? But in terms from which perspective? Yeah, you, because yeah. It's, it's, it's always a mixture of... of um, it's very hard, for example, to compare Hungary with, with uh, 
Albania or or, or ex Yugoslavia or or Romania and Bulgaria. I think there, this this connotation of, of of the East is is has has been at the beginning a struggle for me to to see that it's also used to mute the the, the all the differences and all the complexities mm-hmm. of the region. But then, of course, the common denominator is um, is the the the, the, the communists, so to say, uh, somehow actualized dictatorships. And this, uh, what you were mentioning, this top-down structure of the Communist Party, which was a very male, chauvinistic-oriented mm-hmm. um, Communist Party in almost all the, all, all the countries, uh, be them in ex-Yugoslavia or in other, in other communist um, dictatorships. Um, and uh, there are like uh, many theorists, um, as Marta Bodo also. She explains in many of, of her books and also articles and research that while women in Western Europe uh, actually went to the street to claim these rights, if we are talking about the time span after forty-five, so everything that happened from the sixties, seventies. Um, Eastern European women, as you were mentioning, were kind of um, caught in in having these rights on paper, but also in being continuously uh, dominated by this male chauvinist uh, character of the Communist Party and also of society. So it is a double form. It is more wicked. It's a a double form of violence. It's like, we we gave it to you, you have all these rights, but you don't have them, so... But they were also using, of course you were seen as a workforce. You have two hands, you're a woman. Of course you can work, let's work. It's a work-oriented system. But then also you were used for reproduction. I mean, this was sort of imposed to, like, build a nation, to contribute to society, and this was also kind of... Children as soldiers to contribute to... So this was something that was not so highlighted or presented and, 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 um, I would say, written about it in this way. But also what you mentioned before, how we are kind of all blended when you say Eastern Europe or like Southeastern Europe, that all we are blended, there is no... There are, of course, differences. And when you say... Eastern European woman and all the stereotypes you connected with and who do you see when someone says Eastern European woman do you see a Russian Soviet or Russian woman do you see Ukraine do you see Bulgarian woman do you see Bosnia so even now me just voicing these countries I already have different images you know like and but all kind of pumped up with the stereotypes which you would not say when you would think of like French women or like, uh, you know, Sweden. And, you know, it's completely different. And you were also mentioning you had certain experiences. You um, you were born in Tirana or? I was born in Elbasan. Okay. But I moved to Tirana because my, my father comes from Tirana. So. And you studied there. Yeah. Uh, and I lived in Tirana from the age of seven then to 19. And then I left Tirana for Milan where I started uh, as a young student, um, my bachelor. So it was my first experience abroad. What did you study in Milan? Um, languages and cultural studies. Okay. <laughs> so translation languages were, were very present since the and very beginning. And you speak also fluent Italian. Yes, I do. Yes. And how, is for, how was for you also this, like someone who is coming from Albania, studying in Italy, and then you moved later to Germany. So of course there was like different languages a misinterpretation, but also the topics you are dealing with in your work and through your studies were sort of also embodied in this personal experience that you were living. Yeah. 
very much so my my research is comes very much from a personal experience because i think um, the more you try to understand yourself you can also understand the others and vice versa um, and I also believe in this uh, guttural feeling of how and also language for me is is guttural um, so there is a mixture of this instinct and 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 how you emotionally relate the effect with the language um, and I was very drawn to Italian uh, my, my grandfather did speak Italian under the fascist he did study his um, university studies in Italian, so it was present in my home, but there is a very complicated and long history between Albania and Italy also, which is ignored, obviously, on the Italian side. Um, and also during the dictatorship, Albanians were kind of, you know, because of the proximity to Italy, it was the first country in the, in the free democratic capitalist world uh, that they hoped would turn their eyes to Albania and kind of save her somehow. So there was a lot of migration after the 90s, and the two countries that actually dealt with the migration were Greece and um, Italy. Again, because of the proximity and because of an affinity with language, obviously. Um, and of course, uh, with migration, other problems arise, illegal migration. We see it even now, and also with um, organized crime on both sides, because only the Albanian side is mentioned, but uh, the Albanian organized crime then had to penetrate the threads that were present in Italian soil. So it was very complicated for me to be a young woman in, um, in Italy studying. Um, and I repressed it for a long time. It was also very hard to voice it out within the Albanian community because um, I am very white, I am very European passing. Um, and speaking very fluent Italian, it was very hard for, for them to tell that I was um, a foreigner. Mm -hmm. So it came out only when I would actually be asked where I was from exactly. And um, and then and then you see that this power dynamic changes. Because then when you say the word Albanian, you could immediately understand also from the bodily um, experience and the mimics of the, of the interlocutor that they perceive you as, as, as a threat. Uh, if you are male, mostly if you are female, as, as something compromised, something dirty, something that is linked to illegal um, criminal affairs or prostitution, mainly there was there were many cases of Albanian women being kidnapped and sold to prostitution in the mid nineties until two thousand three, mostly. Um, so the stereotype when I first started to study there was very present. So linguistically also i reacted uh i wanted to be accepted i wanted to be so perfect my italian ah. that i gave a lot of effort in in mm. in um almost kind of disguise disguise and not being recognized in any way that my italian was so perfect and i could roll all the r's and 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 have all the right accents on on all the um, yeah i think this like stream for us uh in in this case it was italian but also in english uh, you know, we want to pronounce it so well so that I'm not seen less as someone else in my... And then, you know, in one point, I personally became tired of pretending to please someone's ears so they don't bleed hearing my accent or something else. And uh, soon as you also personally embrace this, and I mean, this also re reveals a lot of layers how 
um, you know, identity politics and kind of inter, you know, came into all this and how you perceive yourself. And I know like someone coming from Bosnia when I came to Germany and I'm still in one way also ashamed of it, but I'm trying to understand why when someone would ask me like in the first couple of months when I've when I been in Weimar uh, at Bauhaus University when someone would ask me where you come from, I would say Serbia. And not Bosnia, because I felt, first of all, they would not know where it is. And if they know, they will be prejudiced that it's not European Union, that I'm here for different reasons. If it was uh, someone I would be interested in, I would feel also like less than this person. So I would, I mean, it's not that like Serbia is much better option to lie about, you know, but I felt like, okay, they know where Novak Djokovic is from. They know Belgrade. So at least they can map it out in their head. So I really f- was doing this for some time. And I was like, why I'm doing this? And just now I'm like, also, I mean, I understand that there was some kind of inner shame that was uh, built into me while I was living in Bosnia about myself, about my country, about the region, about everything what was I what was sold to me about myself somehow. So you were also, I mean, you are from Albania and most of the, I learned really a lot from you about political situation in Albania and art culture, art and culture and perspectives and young forces, young people that are also migrated somewhere else to be able to work and uh, do great stuff. And before that, I must say I was not aware of so much because, of course, there is certain stereotypes. And in Bosnia, in this small region, it's so much against each other. And, you know, you have Albania through certain prism, prism, you know. And, uh, I mean, Bosnia as such, you know, it's already in itself full of contradictions and um, nationalist nationalistic spirit and uh, from the history from the couple of decades what happened there but uh you know and even me that i'm not uh, aware of the war as such like in a physical sense i didn't live through it uh, to remember but afterwards this transitional period i feel it was also traumatic um just to grow up thinking that this is normality and this is how you should think about certain countries, certain people coming from their base on your name, last name, with whom you should hang out, with whom should you fall in love and so on. So I don't know how was for you experience a young woman from Albania also coming to Germany, not just to Italy. Like And um, yeah, my experience was like this. And now I'm like, uh, there is also a contradiction when I say, oh, I'm from Bosnia and Herzegovina. And then uh, you speak... And then they say, what's your mother tongue? And I say Serbian. And they were like, completely confused. It's like a buzz going in their head. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, I fucked it. So now I need to explain. Like what we can, you know, being Bosnian Serb and, you know, someone not maybe knowing this uh, history, it's like a lot of, you know, uh, complicated. And, you know, you, you're just not so, it's not convenient that you have such a complicated history and yeah. life you know yeah uh, i mean it's very touching to hear your your story because i mean we go through the same type of trying to negotiate our own identity as in terms of survival uh, because trying to adapt but it's uh, it's 
it's very sad somehow to see that in the West where we have chosen to live, there is a certain sense of saturation on which topic of trauma they are able to process or they're able to hear. So if they are, they're not able to kind of go deep um, in many conflicts or to, and this is in many areas, like normal uh, people that I converse with in friends circles or in academia mostly, or in different institutions, you see that there is really a saturation. They are able to talk only about certain <laughs> conflicts or it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, I feel like, conflicts of different areas that are not Western Europe or North North America, we conquer with each other. Like, who are they going to talk about now? You know? And it's interesting that you uh, say your experience because this, this, this ignorance of not knowing what is the ethnic texture of, of Bosnia-Herzegovina, which is actually understanding the war. So there's, I don't know what your experience was, but... F- they are not able to describe the conflict that happened, for example, in Bosnia, which was a very traumatic war that happened in, in the 90s in Europe, which is very, very recent. And it's the same about Albania or about the dictatorship. So it's um, it's it's been not as much as traumatic uh, moving to Germany for me um, because my my choice was different. It was more my choice being so young and going it was more being pushed somehow maybe my family said like oh you could start in italy we could support you etc etc so i was i was more living someone else's choices probably so when i came to germany i had a different awareness and i was older i was 30 um and i actually experienced a lot of freedom maybe because of the of, of berlin and all the stereotypes that are linked to the city, I also was attracted by these stereotypes. Um, but I kind of used it. So this idea of kind of to use Berlin was very freeing to me because I used it to make a new experience, to study again, to try and be creative and to pursue my artistic path. Um, so that gave me a little bit of, of, of power over uh, how I present myself into this other into the second experience of being a migrant and of using another language, which was very broken. I was very obsessed with Italian in my head when I was trying to speak German, even if I knew German uh, beforehand, because I had studied it since I was in Tirana. So I had a good basis, but it was very difficult for me to get used to German being my everyday uh, language. And I almost fell out of love with the German language. I, I fell in love with the German language when I was 15, 16. It, it was for me, I don't know, it was for me very exotic because it was so so different from all the Latin languages that I used to speak. But have you uh, learned in the school? Was yes. it obligatory? Yes. Mm. Yeah, there was this special program about um, expanding the German culture in Albania. Felt so much intrusive for me, like yeah. you know, knowing the history of Austro-Hungarian you know, you yeah. were always occupied by yeah. some Germans yeah. and like in German language. It was like obligatory for me to learn, and I felt like I understood, but and I knew how to read, but like you know, practice was to the minimum to speak about it, you know, like. And I'm now like, why knowing actually not just the history of our region, but the future of our region, and that like. There will be like a lot of young brains moving exactly. to these countries. Yes. I would like 
this should be a mother tongue, you know, like, no, feels like, you know, because everyone, me also here now in Berlin and um, necessity of speaking German. I mean, Berlin, it's a bit different vibe than the rest of Germany, but being in Weimar, being in the Eastern Germany, it's different and different expects from you. And it's a language that doesn't allow much mistakes as English. We also yes. need to know that. that and it's, it, it's less, less fluent somehow. To yeah, me. it's less fluent and... Um, you know, this, my first encounters when I came to Germany, I was coming here to work. Um, I was studying still in Bosnia, but, uh, through summer, you know, like three months visa, I was coming to work instead of, um, women who were having unpaid, uh, vacations. So I would, uh, fill in for them, like cleaning restaurants, cleaning, uh, doctor offices and so on. So I was already introduced even though my, someone might say, oh, that's a, like a history, this way of, you know, work, but it's definitely not. And I was already introduced with 18, 19, like what could be my future, you know, in this country. Um, and not just me, but my my uh, older generation, like would be my aunts, my mother and so on, like also coming here. And what was here for these people who were not born here or educated or spoke English. So this would be the first interaction, I hated it. I hated the language, I hated the country. And I, how, how did you feel that people were towards you? Okay. I mean, until you do your work, it's fine. I mean, the thing also, I was not interacting much with people at work because I was working at 4 a.m., you know? You go over, no one is there, you clean, you go home. And this was the working hours. So uh, I was mostly with my family there who hosted me. And so we were speaking in our our language. And of course, I was a bit scared. And if I would go to, to do some shopping or something, that would be very minimum um, German uh, using of German language, mostly English, but also very insecure at the time. Like I thought I was 20, 21, 19, 21. And, um, but I really was like, I don't want to be here. If this is the life I'm streaming to come to Germany, as it was sold to us or to generation, you know, having, you know, through this work, Tante was watching, like having someone living in Germany, Austria. Oh my God, it's so amazing. Young, sexy aunt, um, always female for some reason. Like, uh, and this, you should do this. And then I came, I saw the reality and I was like, uh-uh, no. But, you know, then I came with the, you know, uh, through the scholarship. And uh, of course, it's a completely different setup. And you come to university, you come to the scholarship. And I know that also my family is aware of this, uh, this difference. When you come here to study and how you're seen as a student, it's not the same as you just came here to work, you know, to steal, steal the job that they don't want at all. So, um, yeah, so for me, German language always was connected to not something pleasant, like something very sharp, intrusive. Um, I was not, I cannot say I was falling in love with it, but I understand the beauty of the language. Language as such is not guilty. And also it's not pure. We also know that there is no purity in any language. And But um, I now, when I, I do speak German, I also learned it through the work. And I understand how you're seen or how how you're heard or misunderstood when you do mistakes and speak broken German. Yeah. Especially if you live here in a, in a German-speaking area. And like, you know, me speaking broken English, 
you speaking broken English, everyone speaks, it's kind of tolerated. Now I'm going to US for two months and I'm a bit scared. You know, I'm a bit scared of someone hearing my accent. Not like maybe they will know where it is exactly from, but because I would feel a bit more uncomfortable speaking the, the level of English I speak over there. You know, it's a bit strange. Yeah. And also this thing that when we hear, when I hear someone speak Serbo-Croatian, I'm like, oh my God, how? How do you speak? I was uh, recently at a hairdresser and he was Italian speaking fluent Serbian. I was amazed. How come you come across this language to learn? And you said it was, you know, you were mentioning about this, that you also want to learn uh, Bosnian. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the idea that the Balkans, what you were mentioning before, don't know each other and that we are projected into this Westerness, be it North America, um, or, or uh, a white, uh, white, rich, uh, ex-colonial powers, Western Europe, and we're never projected towards each other. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and we, but, but I'm thankful to also this broken English because it's, it's something that connects us. It's through the language that we come to know each other and connect, and also to come back to look at each other in, in, a, in a different way, even if we still use this kind of language, which is, as we are saying at the beginning, a language also of, of power and of trauma for so many other uh, countries that were colonized by the British Empire, for example. Uh, but also, we also talk and connect through broken German because of the fundings and because of our research and because of applications and because of German institutions, cultural institutions. And it's interesting how this German presence is articulated in, in the Balkans. I mean, with the Austro-Hungarian um, Empire, with the interest of West Germany at the time to have cheap labor from ex-Yugoslavia, as it happened with Turkey. Uh, this is a part that is never investigated that much, that that Tito actually did have these contracts with the, with cheap labor and how, how families were torn apart. And and, um, and there is an, a massive exodus of uh, also Albanian brains, um, very specialized workforce, especially in the field of medicine that in the past 15 years have been uh, fleeing to come to Germany for this life. And I had to think about your project at Tantaus Deutschland, but also to this idea of Germanness, you know? How can we define this in the language and outside the language, this this idea of Germanness, of, which is linked to a certain purity and linked to a certain a purity of form in terms of um a fullness you know a fullness of economic development and then <laughs> of, of of the fullness of having a very nice car or the fullness of i don't know um having a raise in your in your monthly income in three years etc etc i don't know how many houses you're able to buy which then obviously it's not the migrant experience um but yeah, we are colonized uh, again uh, culturally and economically mostly by by Germany. Uh, all the Balkans are, um, and it's interesting how you, how you talk about your nineteen twenty year old experience with the German language, and and I had the opposite because I I I fell in love with um, Heinrich Böll. I did uh, read two of his novels in Albanian. Because my, my, my German at 16 was very, very um, at, at its first steps. 
Um, and I really liked uh, this author and it kind of inspired me because it was introspective in analyzing trauma and war. And slowly I, I kind of was very fascinated by it. But, but somehow after my 10 years in Italy, when I came here, I just, I just couldn't keep falling in love with this German language or I was maybe fascinated by it, but somehow when I use German, I always go into all the Latin words that do make sense also in German. So I kind of catch myself when I speak German, I try to change its syntax. So I kind of use this Latin structures, Latin originated structures. Uh, and I, I see that I kind of try to change my German somehow, grammatically. Um, I try to adapt it to my other languages. Also when I translate string of words or... But uh, was that possible? I mean, I don't have that experience. I'm I'm actually at this point that I don't even know when, when I'm speaking wrong. I'm just speaking yeah, and too. I see yeah. a guy get understood, but I'm sure that something was wrong. Yeah, well, people, when I speak, most people then make me notice that I use these string structures or, or the, the, these words that don't mean the same thing. Or sometimes I get questions that I'm like, oh, no, but come on, my sentence was so clear. Like, what didn't you get? But I see that I use the structure of the language totally different. Um, yeah, so it's it's a wall. It's very hard to penetrate uh, within... In Italy, I was always complimented because uh, obviously my Italian is almost mother tongue, but also not. <laughs> so there are moments where you're tired and maybe you drank two cocktails or three and some some structure, some words or some accents change. But they were also very fascinated by, by the level of Italian that I used to speak. But this amazement I never get from, from the German counterparts, for example. It's, it's, an, it's a different experience. They just... But how do you see now your mother tongue? Like, um, I mean, I don't know how much do you use it in your everyday life. I do actually pretty often because my flatmates, we speak in the same language. I have also friends from, from uh, ex-Yugoslavia. So there is constantly present. But still, the quality of the language I speak... I'm a bit disappointed. Like I see gradually, like through years, that actually it's degrading the the vocabulary because the literature I'm exposed to it's in English. If I'm doing some works, and when I speak with someone who is living, uh, who who lives in the in region where my mother tongue is spoken, it's I'm like I feel like I'm listening radio. It's so eloquent. It's so nice. There is. Um, f f so like this fluency of the sentence and I know all these words but they don't pop up in my head and I feel a bit disappointed but I also understand that this is sort of fine to happen I guess you know like I was speaking with some um, German German friend like friends from uh, Germany that are born here um, like second generation of uh, from Turkey, and they would speak starting sentence in German, finishing in Turkish, and then I would ask why, what, what is happening, and because um, so they just told me like some emotions I cannot express in German, and opposite, and like you know some emotions I cannot express in Turkish. 
I assumed always like bureaucracy it probably was said in German and emotions in Turkish but like and I understand I know when I was uh, you know kid or there is even now when you go it's like oh you forgot your mother tongue or for you yeah same yeah but really like I even on every day you're speaking three languages on a daily basis and your mind somehow just shifts. There is no uh, no logical explanation for me to say why I said it like this or why this word clicked much better to me in my head, visually even, even though I know it in maybe all three languages, but somehow fits there. And of course, there is also humor present in it. So like if I feel, especially now, if I'm more interested in writing comedy, so it's like you want to highlight all these differences and misunderstandings i'm really much interested in misunderstandings and how language creates this i really love this and of course i you know this is how language uh involves yeah and this is also how your identity and your relation also to yourself changes because of the migrant experience uh, like this the, the this margins of error um I love this disgregation. There's disgregation. All these languages disgregate into one another somehow. And you create a new entity of, of how you express yourself. You cannot go back to a fullness of when you were living only in your uh, country and you spoke only your mother tongue. I had the same experience. My Albanian is also not the Albanian that I used to speak when I was 19, uh, fresh from high school. Um but I am experiencing a, a very strong comeback because, because of uh, a year and a half that I actually left Berlin to go back to Tirana because I, I needed to reconnect very strongly for one of my research projects. Um, and being in Albania again after so many years abroad helped me to delve into the language and to, to experience it in a different way. But it's never full again, because I cannot undo my migrant experience. So when I went back, I can never find again my homeland. So this, this idea is, is a bit gone. Um, they told me that I had like this slight accent when I spoke Albanian at the beginning, uh, that it, it is a good, a very good Albanian, obviously. Um, but sometimes some some notions you are you are you are able to explain only in English, uh, or very few also, for example, in in German, many in Italian, because Italy has has um, has shaped me a lot um, because I was very young when I went there. Uh, but there is a focus in in my generation now to to read a lot in Albanian. Uh, and the Albanian language itself has, I don't know, how is it for, 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 for Serbian or the connotation of the Serbian that you speak within Bosnia-Herzegovina, um, but through many influences of Italian and English, also the Albanian language has changed. It's not the one that I used to read in my books when I was 17, 16. Uh, so even my mother tongue, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a continuous negotiation, I think. Um, but uh, you were mentioning a comedic language. Uh, that that it's 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 a way for you to see all these frictions and that you use them and for me I would agree with comedic language is also a form of poetry and for me it's also poetry which is a kind of way or free verse that also comes up in my research and, and how I write for my storytelling or filmmaking um, 
and poetry again is is a, a vessel for me to to go back uh, to my own mother tongue, uh, where I experience a, a sort of a form that is very true to also um, the Albanian part in me because. Yeah, it's not the only part anymore. Yeah. <laughs> There are many other parts. Yeah, it's just building up. Who knows what's going to be tomorrow. In many layers, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, we also spoke about this, um, you know, mapping, like, you know, geography of, of, of Europe and speaking broken English, of course, because is there a country in Europe where English is a uh, first thought? No. The UK. You can, ah, yeah. Oh my god, I can't believe <laughs> but I, I forgot it. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually proud. I'm, I'm very, very proud of you. I'm very proud of this moment. I'm kind of proud of it. <laughs> Ignoring like the. the like, is there any country that speaks <laughs> the only one? Where did actually English come <laughs> from? <laughs> the only, yeah. Oh my god. Oh, so was good. this was this the greatest empire who went yeah. to colonize all the? Oh, right, right. I forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the you know like. Europe and you know we we know this that we are like where we where two of us come from um it's not seen as greatest Europe you know it's yes. seen as uh, you know other Europe yes poor sad and um, yeah like wild savages you know and you know greedy feels like and of course the language um you know, all these stereotypes and as soon as you say uh, your name or whatever word you say, you're kind of mapped out where you come from. And um, somehow, you know, as I was saying, I was sometimes sad or ashamed, but now I feel like um, I would like to even provoke with my own language, like, and with, with my accent. And I feel like I'm protesting something, like, by making it as rough as possible, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like butchering it or something. And I feel like, yeah, I can at least through this way, I can um, uh, claim, you know, yeah. and make visible the region, you know, where you're from. Um, so that someone is like, at least, oh, where are you from? Like, if you don't understand the accent, probably you don't know where it is, you know? Yes. So I don't know, like, I mean, for Albania, it's the same for, for uh, Bulgaria, for Romania, you know, it's kind of um that story yeah yes but it's uh, i mean it's emblematic that you forgot about the uk i love it uh <laughs> i think me. because it's de-attached it's <laughs> like an island yeah. you know <laughs> but it's also and that's that's the most exquisite form of reappropriating kind of language like taking away its origin and saying that but broken english is, isn't this the language that Actually, we, it's it's like taking it back from an ethereal somewhere that is abstract and not con not this political connotation that it has, but and the accent is is very much a tool of reappropriating space of of otherness, because we are taught that we have to speak perfectly so that we blend, and, and the English that we learn, especially in the Balkans after the nineties, it's uh, the language the language of capital. You have to you know you have to be like them as white as possible, as economically advanced as possible, to work as hard as possible, etc., etc. So you are actually taught to kind of learn perfectly. And, and pe young people from Bosnia-Herzegovina, from Romania, from Bulgaria, from Albania, all speak very good English, actually. Yeah. 
maybe mostly influenced by the um, American television shows, etc., which yeah. is also the fate of my accent. <laughs> but um, and if if you see other, well, the Netherlands maybe, but they do have a slight accent. The French really they they don't care. They to don't care. sound perfect in English. The Greek. They are in the European, even if that is also another form of South. The Italians, you know, they have their own accent, you know, and it's something to make fun of. And it's so, oh, it's so nice and exotic. I mean, there is also this, you know, like sexiness in accents and how, what is perceived as sexy. And sexy, yeah. This is funny because um, I can, you know, like speaking with, 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 uh, with my partner and he's like, Oh, you know, I'm not a fan of French accent. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's my personality. Oh, I'm not a fan of <laughs> French accent. I don't find it sexy. My personal opinion, no offense to anyone. And then my partner was like, oh, well, he finds sexy uh, French accent. And I was like, what? What do you think about my accent? And like, well, it's, it sounds like a bit, you know, rough, you know, like a bulldozer or like tractor. Like this is... Also, but he, you know, he said, like, it's powerful. It's, like, you know, strong, independent. It's, like, you know, that's nothing coming. <laughs> I see you <laughs> don't see me like that. Is. You know, like, it's not, like, Spanish, Italian, like, Greece. Like Greek is also, you know, but uh, these, you know, Slavic accents are very strong, you know, and it's uh, it's not, like, um, you if you want to feel, to express your femininity, it's not appropriate yeah it feels like it's not the accent for it you know this all the the ideas of certain places where you come you know like it's connected to uh it's sexualized in different ways you know if you're uh uh, seen on the street or you you know ideas that you might work as a sex uh, sex worker you know like it's kind of uh connected in different ways you know yeah not as a elite uh, yeah you know it's 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 again this idea that uh, this duality of West and Eastern Europe it's 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 always present it's it has colonial terms because for a Western Europe to be at a certain level Eastern Europe has to be much lower so the, the question of domination it's it's very present and that's how these these connotations then of course are born um there is also this idea i mean every slavic language is connected to uh to russian somehow even if they're different uh and albania is also linked because of the proximity to slavic populations uh, its language is all, also always uh taken for granted as a slavic language and this is something also that i need to explain uh, wherever i am especially to italians and i'm like no it's not a Slavic language. I mean, we don't know where it comes from, but it's not Slavic. And uh, that there is beauty in this in this contradiction also uh, in terms of how populations mm, were, were, were conquering this part of the peninsula, etc., which is a very ancient story. I mean, it begins with the Roman Empire, etc., until the 6th, 7th century when the Slavic populations descended, etc. Um, but it's only connected to war. So the, the question is, why don't Albanians speak a Slavic language? Or it's like something that you should have adapted or, or so. And I'm like, well, then you haven't read anything about the wars because it's, it was kind of used, this, this ethnic thing was used to, for, for, to fuel the conflict. Um, but yeah, 
don't remember what the question was, but no, there is no question. We're just like, <laughs> but like going from one topic to another. <laughs> I mean, it was super great. I don't know if we have something else to add, like, but I really enjoyed this talk and it has certain um, organic flow coming from all these perspectives of the language. And I don't want to make it broader as much because in the next episode, I think you touched a certain... And in the beginning, we talked a bit about uh, writing and correcting each other and not just each other, but yourself, self-censorship and how you present yourself. And in the next episode, we're going to actually explore uh, much more of this through through um, how we uh, like translation and writing and uh, first uh, like mother tongue, second tongue, third tongue, like, you know, all this washing through different languages and how much actually your opinion is washed through all this translation and how much is lost in translation and how much work constant work that is also yes. to 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 jump from, from yes one. i mean depends also yeah in which um sphere you're working and i mean in arts like it's different if you're a writer i, I assume maybe if you're a writer you would maybe stay put in the country where the tongue you're uh the the language you're working in uh, it's kind of dominating but, you know, in arts where we are like kind of all nomads traveling everywhere, you have this English as a constant. So you always need to like layer it over and over and over. And to it's so much work. It's like such an in- invisible work um, to correct and to rewrite and to write even uh, that I even don't think uh, in terms of art in my own mother tongue anymore. I feel like I don't know when. You know, and this is something that we're going to definitely talk in the next episode. So I hope you enjoyed. If you have something to add and wish to like address. I enjoyed very much. Um, I thank you for your attention and for acute answers. And uh, no, I'm looking forward to your comedy sessions uh, and to your uh, comedic, poetic English. Yes, I think that's actually what made me good in this it's actually my accent i <laughs> uh, no, i was so happy to have you and i hope actually to have you again uh maybe as a co-host or maybe even this, like podcast yes. takeover or something like that but uh we're gonna update everyone on this so uh, i hope you enjoyed this uh session very much and if you if anyone of you who is listening this podcast i hope there is someone uh, you can uh, write to to our Instagram page that I already created. <laughs> like there is uh, on the message broken English underline podcast. There is other podcast there on this uh, with this name. So be sure that you tag us if you liked and write if you have any suggestion with guests, with the topics or any kind of note. If you like it, if you hated it. If uh, you know, but we don't apologize that we speak like this. I hope your ears are not hurt. Um, so thank you for listening and uh, keep updated on this podcast. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Bye.